want to invite you to turn in your scriptures now to the book of John. The book of John. John chapter 4, as we look at the concluding account of the woman at the well. Last week I mentioned that a guide had been surprised at the coldness of the water and misspoke. I was surprised he was not uh, as he drew up water when I was in Israel. Our scripture text we will be reading from will come from verse 27. As we look at this account where Jesus meets with this woman, a well-attested historical site existing even today in which you can find Jacob's well, chapter 4, verse 27. The text of Scripture reads, At this point, his disciples came, and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. Yet no one said, What do you seek? Or why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all the things I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? They went out of the city and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, no one brought him anything to eat, did he? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I shall say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for life eternal so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. From the city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all the things I have done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. Let's bow together in prayer. Our God, we give you thanks for the reading of your word and we pray that you would grant to us an illumined mind and a heart that is open to how you would speak. In Jesus' name, amen. CBS Sacramento had a report in the news two weeks ago. 
It was entitled Decline in Workers Worry Central Valley Farmers. And the article read, the good news for farm workers is that there's plenty of work in the fields, but the bad news for farmers is that there are not enough workers coming around. There are asparagus crops that are ready to go, but there aren't enough people to pick them fast enough this year. It's getting worse every year. All my friends in the business are pretty concerned, said Zuckerman's farm manager, George Biaggi. Like many other farms in the Central Valley, Zuckerman's farm near Stockton relies on documented migrant workers. Usually by April, 70 people will be picking their asparagus stalks, but so far this year, only about 40 have returned. Asparagus needs to be picked at just the right time. But if you don't have enough workers to pick it fast enough, it will continue to grow and flower out. Biagi says that just won't sell, unquote. When crops are ready to grow, farmers need workers, and there simply aren't as many in some places in the U.S. What is true of the American farmer is also true of the field of God, just as we've read this morning. For even Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, verse 2, And he said, saying to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest that he might give laborers, send laborers into his harvest. Lord's call was for workers because the harvest was plentiful. And the fact of the matter is there are people who are waiting, just waiting to hear the good news of who Jesus is. So when we come to this particular context here, the idea that Jesus is trying to communicate to his disciples is this very idea. And by way of review, this is the account of the woman at the well. For Jesus, it says at the beginning of chapter 4 that he had been in Judea and he needed to go up into Galilee. And he was going to go to Galilee and he decided he was going to go through the area of Samaria where some strict Jews would never travel through Samaria. They would go and cross the Jordan River, go north up through Gentile territory called Perea, cross back over the Jordan into Galilee, all to avoid Samaria. Why? Because of such discrimination and prejudice that had been in their heart. The Samaritans, those who lived directly northward of the area of Judea, were descendants of Jews who had intermarried after the Assyrians had conquered the northern kingdom of Israel in 722 B.C. And when a conquering nation came and they conquered a people, they would import foreigners who would also import false religion. Not only did they intermarry physically, but they would marry their beliefs and they turned away from God. Last week I shared with you how they had turned away from God, but in time they attempted to turn back to God. They accept the Pentateuch and they wanted to help in the rebuilding of the temple when Zerubbabel came back under Nehemiah, but they were rebuffed, and in their anger, they set up their own temple in Mount Gerizim. 
They set up their own place of worship in Mount Gerizim. And thus, this woman later asked about that very issue. Are we supposed to worship on this mountain or go to Jerusalem like your people say? She said to Jesus. Jesus answered her question saying, It won't be a matter of where you worship But all who come to worship must worship in spirit and in truth. In other words, one is to worship God internally in the affection of the heart, as well as according to the word of God, according to the word of truth. Our worship is to be that from the heart. It is not the external ceremonialism that matters to God. And so much as that which is according to the heart and according to the word of God, which is the truth of God. And here Jesus and his disciples decide to travel through Samaria. And it's around noon, around the sixth hour, when Jesus stops and he sits by the well and the disciples go off to find lunch. A Samaritan woman comes, Samaritan woman comes in the middle of the day, in the heat of the day. She comes and walks a half a mile from Sychar, which is probably the closest town nearby. And the context implies she is alone. She's alone, perhaps because of the shame of her lifestyle, that which was an immoral lifestyle. She came to draw water. Women would typically come early in the morning or late in the afternoon in the cool of the day. They would often come in groups as well. But here, this woman comes and Jesus speaks to her and he says, give me a drink. And she was surprised for she said in the text, therefore, this woman said to him, how is it that you... Being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman. That just wasn't done, as I shared again last week. Because in that culture, not only did Jewish men not speak to women, not even their wife in public, those who are rabbis would not speak to somebody who had an immoral lifestyle. And as she claims herself, Jews normally don't have anything to do with Samaritans. So how is it that you ask me for a drink? And in the conversation where Jesus addresses her concern about worship, he also reveals That she needs living water, water that he has, water that will cleanse the heart, that will satisfy the soul. He has that water, but she can't have it until she deals with an issue in her life. That is why he asks her, go call your husband. She says, I don't have one. He says, you're right. You've had five and the man that you're living with now isn't your husband. She had to deal with the issue of sin in her heart before she could receive the living water that would cleanse her heart before she would receive salvation. And in their discussion, he reveals himself as the Messiah, the one whom she mentions even that they were looking for. Verse 25, I know the Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when he comes, when that one comes, he will declare all things to us. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Verse 26. And in speaking to her, we saw last week that he crosses all 
of the cultural, ethnic, socioeconomic borders that a normal Jew would not even speak with a Samaritan about. Because the gospel is for all people. The gospel surpasses all other barriers that we might think. And God desires to redeem people from every tongue and nation, every people to himself, that they might be true and genuine worshipers of him. And as he continues on in today's text, we see that Jesus, Jesus tells his disciples that the harvest is ripe. That there are people who are simply waiting for someone to share with them the good news. It doesn't matter who. You cross those barriers, those prejudices, those preferences, and it often entails risk. But the disciples, when they came, they came and they were surprised. They were surprised. Verse 27, he says at this point, the disciples came. Remember, they went to look for some lunch. They come and they see him speaking with this Samaritan woman. And no one said, well, what do you seek or why do you speak with her? They had their own inherent issues that they needed to deal with. D.A. Carson notes in his commentary, some, though by no means all, Jewish thought held that for a rabbi to talk much With a woman, even his own wife was at best a waste of time and at worst a diversion from the story of the Torah. Therefore, potentially a great evil. The question for us many times when we look at people, do we ask ourselves the question of what their need might be or how we might be able to serve or minister to them or do we have our own inherent prejudices or do we have our own inherent thoughts thinking poorly of someone else, how they dress, how they look, the color of their skin, the home they live in, the kind of car they drive and they say, we say, oh, I don't want to get to know someone like that. I don't want my kids to reach out to them. Don't talk to those neighbors. They're not like us. We judge people based upon what we see on the outside. In a newsletter entitled Our America, there was a woman named Dodie Gadient. She was a school teacher for 13 years. She decided she was going to travel across America and see the sites that she had often taught about in school. She traveled alone in a truck with a camper in tow. And she launched out. The article reads, One afternoon, rounding a curve on I-5 near Sacramento in rush hour traffic, a water pump blew on her truck. She was tired. She was exasperated, scared, and alone. And in spite of the traffic jam she caused, no one seemed interested in helping Leaning up against the trailer, she prayed, Please, God, send me an angel, preferably one with mechanical experience. Within four minutes, a huge Harley drove up, ridden by an enormous man sporting long black hair, a beard and tattooed arms. With an incredible air of confidence, he jumped off and without even glancing at Dodie, went to work on the truck. 
Within another few minutes, he flagged down a larger truck attached a tow train to the frame of the disabled Chevy and whisked the entire 56-foot rig off the freeway onto the side where he calmly continued to work on the water pump. The intimidated schoolteacher was too dumbfounded to talk, especially when she read the paralyzing words on the back of his leather jacket, Hell's Angels, California. As he finished the task, she finally got up the courage to say, "Uh, thanks so much, and carry on a brief conversation. Noticing her surprise at the whole ordeal, he looked her straight in the eye and mumbled, Don't judge a book by its cover. You may not know who you're talking to. With that, he smiled, closed the hood of the truck, straddled his Harley with a wave. He was gone as fast as he appeared. Do we judge people by how they look, by what they wear, whether or not they have a tattoo on their arm? Do we judge people and we say, oh, I'd never want to stop and help them or I'd never want to talk with them? That's what these disciples were thinking when they looked at Jesus talking with a Samaritan woman. We Jews don't talk to Samaritans, especially one who comes in the middle of the day. Something must be wrong with her. Jesus, what are you doing? Well, the woman in verse 28, she leaves her water pot. She goes into the city. This is what she does. This is what she does. She says, come to the men, come see a man who told me all the things that I've done. This is not the Christ, is it? They went out of the city and were coming to him. We don't know why she left her water pot. She could have left it so that Jesus could have a drink. She could have left her water pot because it was too heavy to carry back a half mile into the town of Sychar. It could have been that she just forgot it in her haste. I think she was excited to have met the one that possibly could be the Messiah. She says, this is not the Christ, is it? And in the Greek, it expects a negative answer. Why? Because when you look at this woman's background, how often was it that she perhaps spoke with the men with the reputation that she has as a person who had had five husbands and now she was living with a man that wasn't her husband? She probably didn't carry a whole lot of credibility in that society, but with tactfulness, She phrases it in such a way such that the hearers would be the ones who come to the conclusion and make the judgment call. But in her excitement, her witness was tremendous. Her message was simply, come and see. Come and see this man who told me all the things I've done. Come and see. Look, you've got to see. Do you think this is the Messiah? Come and see. And when it comes to reaching others for Christ, it doesn't take a certain personality type. It doesn't take someone who knows all of the answers in the Bible. It doesn't take this woman obviously hadn't had some course in evangelism or how to share your testimony. She didn't have a tract called the Four Spiritual Laws. She didn't have anything. It doesn't take somebody who's older, who's been a Christian for a long time. It simply comes when someone is excited about the fact that they know the Messiah and says, come and see. This woman obviously wasn't thinking, oh, no, I I don't know. I don't know if I have anything to say. 
I don't want to say anything because I might offend all of these men. Oh, no, not now. No one wants to come in the middle of the day when it's hot to share and see. Oh, no. I'll tell others when there's a program, when there's a nice program and there's a speaker I'll invite, it'll be Jesus. And I put on something nice and I'll invite everybody in town to come. No. She didn't wait. There was no prerequisite for her to tell others about Jesus. What was convincing about her testimony was that she believed. She really believed. And the Spirit of God used her testimony that was as simple as come and see Jesus. Could this not be the Messiah? Come meet a man who told me all about my life. And if you and I were like her, such that our excitement for Christ were just as great, how convincing it would be, far beyond whatever program and training you might have. The question is not, are we all equipped and prepared or whatever it may be. The question is, will we share and say, come and see Come and hear the Word of God. Come and learn about God. Come and hear what I've been learning. I've been learning about this or that, about the Lord Jesus. The message is simple. It's not a matter of can we. It's a matter of will we. The scene shifts back to Jesus and the disciples. For they were urging Him back at the well, Rabbi, eat. And they were wondering, is somebody... somebody brought him any food because this is what Jesus says. He says, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Jesus said to them later on, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. You know, they were these disciples, these disciples, they were always concerned about lunch. They were always concerned about food more than the will of God. Disciples looked at one another. Did you, did you bring him something to eat? Did he have something to eat before? Jesus tells them about the food that he had, which was that doing of the work and the will of God. It's reminiscent of his temptation in the, in the wilderness when he said, Man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Many people are like these disciples. Many of us more concerned about what we will eat more than the Word of God. Spending more time looking at to which restaurant we're going to go to than reading the Word of God. Spending more time with friends than hearing the Word of God and learning what God would desire of us. The desire... For food is oftentimes greater than the desire for what the Word says. What happens is that the soul then becomes malnourished, becomes destitute, and shrivels up because of a lack of the Word of God. What Jesus says here is that He desires to do the work and the will of God. And the question for us is, what do we love more? Are we more inclined to spend more money on food and more time and more energy on what we are going to eat? Or are we desirous more to hear the Word of God and to do what God desires? My food, Jesus says, is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. 
That is what Jesus' desire was. And he speaks to his disciples about the harvest, about the work that God had given them the privilege of doing. The harvest. There are yet four months and then comes the harvest. That's what you say. He says, Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the field, for they are white for harvest. He uses the analogy of a harvest and people who are awaiting the harvest. And when it comes time, you see, for the harvest that is ripe, it's already to be picked. The disciples simply had to look and lift up their eyes. And I can imagine during that time, during that time, the people were starting to come out of Sychar, this village, this town, after the woman had testified. And they were coming in their white garments and there the fields would be green, perhaps, and their, their robes, which would be typically white, would be looking like that which was ready to be picked. Look on the fields, they are white for harvest. And he says, I, I've sent you to reap for that which you have not labored. Others have labored and you enter into their labor. Jesus' message is that these people are ready to hear the gospel news that I am the Messiah. And you have the privilege of being a part of that. Paul said to the Corinthians, I planted, Apollos watered, and God caused the growth. Everyone has a part in someone's life. Everyone who has gone before them, maybe they planted the seed. Others have watered. God was about to bless them with the privilege of bringing them to the Savior. And the same is true. The same is true about our lives. We look at our own testimony. Maybe it was our parent who first brought us to church and someone who was a Sunday school teacher who began to teach us the Bible or a friend who shared the gospel and someone, a coach or whoever it may be, came alongside to encourage and nourish and to be an example for us as we lived. And we saw their life, we heard the gospel and we came to know Jesus because someone preached it or shared it and led us to the Lord. Everyone has a part and there are some people who are just ready to hear someone say, come and see, come and see. And sadly, the need today is even greater with just over 7.1 billion people in the world. There are more people than ever who need the gospel. In 1950, according to reaching beyond borders, in 1950, there were some 100,000 missionaries. But since 1950, about 1,000 missionaries have come off the field and not enough to replace them. All the way down to today. Today, within the past few years, estimates are that there are some 10,000 missionaries only in unevangelized fields and some 20,000 full-time Christian workers pales in comparison to 60 years ago when there were 100,000. Today, statistically, 75% of missionaries return home within the first three years and never return back to a foreign field, all for a variety of reasons. 
Those that entered into Bible college, never. Only 1% of them, only 1% of them consider the mission field. What a tremendous need there is. What a tremendous need for the world to hear the gospel with a population as great as ever and a missionary force as smaller than ever here. That is what Jesus wants to bring. He wants to bring to this woman, to the Samaritans, the news that he is a savior. And we are blessed with the privilege as well as the responsibility to go and share and to help those who know Christ to grow in the Lord, to disciple them, to bring them up so they can train others as well. I remember when I was in the Congo or near the border of the Congo, there was a Congolese grouping of pastors that gathered and they talked with me through the night, probably about a dozen or so. And they were just sharing with me. They were from the eastern part of the Congo and they were sharing with me how they had felt abandoned because there were no missionaries where they were. There was no Bible school, no, no college or whatever it may be, and no money to do ministry. And they wanted somebody simply to come. They said even once a year, once a year, if somebody could come and teach us the Word of God, what a blessing that would really be to us. Because there is no one. People need to know Christ and to help those who do know grow. That is our responsibility. The Samaritan response in verse 39, many of them came because of the word that this woman had testified. He told me all the things I had done. That's all she said. She told me all the things. Could this not be the Christ? And when they had met with him, he stayed. They asked him to stay. He stayed for two days. Verse 41, many more believed because of his word. And they said what? It is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. A simple testimony of Christ. Come and see this man who told me all about my life. Come and see Jesus. It wasn't anything fancy. She wasn't some aristocrat. She wasn't known to be eloquent necessarily. There weren't any flashing lights, big program. She said, come and see and What happened? God took that and he used it for his glory that the one is indeed the Savior was their response to the message of the Messiah. The impact she had was great because of God. And the same can be true of you and me. The same can be true of you and me because within whatever sphere that you're in, whatever circle of influence that you have, there are people who do not know the Lord Jesus. And they need to hear. And you can impact the world for Christ just through one or two people or whatever it may be. Whatever your role is, you can sow the seed, you can water it, or you can reap it because there are some people out there who are just waiting to hear Good news. The good news of the hope of the Messiah. There's a story by Peggy Desnoyes in Decision Magazine entitled Silent No More. Decision Magazine is published by the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association and she was a nurse in the era of counseling and she writes that her job had 
put her in touch, quote, with many people who were searching for answers to problems in their lives. She says, I knew that Jesus was the answer, but I couldn't bring myself to talk to them about him. I was the master of excuses. Then a patient changed my life. Wanda, 56, suffered with chronic depression. Many people in her family had died, some of them tragically. The loss and her grief became too great a burden for the widow. One day she quit her job, went home, pulled the curtains, and refused to leave her house. Eventually, she stopped eating. Even the smallest task became too difficult for her. A neighbor noticed the change in Wanda's behavior and made arrangements for her to be taken to a hospital. When Wanda went home, I was assigned to her home As a health nurse, I visited her weekly to make sure she was taking care of herself. Over the course of six months, Wanda continued to recover. Although I knew she needed to meet Jesus as her Savior, I reasoned that she would soon be attending church and would hear about him there. One day, I went to Wanda's house and was surprised to find the door ajar. I knocked. When there was no response, I pushed the door open and stepped inside. I found her lifeless body in the bedroom. In her hand was a note to me saying, Dear Peggy, I'm so sorry. I tried it your way, but I got tired. Please forgive me. I cried out my heart out to my loving, forgiving Father, saying, Lord Jesus, I gave her the best I had, but it was my way. I didn't tell her about you. I didn't tell her about your way. I then promised God that I would never pass by another opportunity to tell someone about him. Are you like Peggy? The master of excuses, why we don't share, why we don't say, come and see, why we hesitate in sharing the gospel. Are you like Peggy? When you go to work, no one knows that you're a believer. No one knows that you're a Christian. And instead, you do things your way. You give your advice. You give your suggestions. You give your own life even. Your agenda. But you never say, Come and see a man who knows all about me, who gave me living water, who can cleanse my heart and give me the freedom that comes only from God and the hope of heaven. Jesus crossed all boundaries. The disciples were surprised. Why? Because they judged the cover of that book by who she was. They wouldn't have spoken with her. Maybe there are people like that in your life. You look at them, maybe they're a neighbor of yours, maybe a coworker of yours, maybe someone who is hard to get along with, and you know what, everybody avoids them. You know, in their heart, they probably very well know everyone avoids me. Imagine what it would be. Maybe they're the Samaritan woman in your life that simply needs 
someone to come and say, Come, see. Come and see my Jesus. Because the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. And ripe is the harvest. Will you share? Will you share about Jesus? Saying simply, come and see and know my Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, so oftentimes we rationalize and we think to ourselves, it's because I don't have the right personality, Lord, or it's because I don't have the opportunity, or I'm too busy, or they're not open, or what will people say of me? Lord, maybe we are the people who are the master of our excuses. Father, I pray that we might be truly lights that shine in a dark world. That do not judge others by how they look or how they speak. That do not judge others by whether or not they are like us or different from us. But Father, knowing that they have a need, the need for a Savior, the need for living water. And may we never go past someone who is dying of thirst for they, O Father, need you. In Jesus' name, amen.